morning, church. This morning, I want us to think about how do you define success or fame? How do you define success or fame? Like, there may be a lot of different thoughts of what that looks like and different people that have been famous or successful um, in the culture around us, but how do you define that? And this morning, we want to look at that. What does that mean in our life? Um, How do we get caught maybe in that trap inside of our life? Now, When you think about being famous, of course, there's celebrity, maybe there's well-known athletes, but how about just kind of normal people, like how do we become famous? Maybe you remember this kid who became famous by pretending he was a Jedi in his garage and filming himself. How many of you guys remember this clip right here? And then people saw that and they took it. And they put some special effects on that, and they reloaded it to the internet, and they gave us this. And this kid who probably never thought about being famous, or maybe even what that would go like, just recording a simple video, he became really famous with just thousands and thousands of views and maybe even over a million with different people that have taken that video and posted it different places. And so unintentionally, he became famous. You may remember another lady whose apartment complex caught on fire and was in a news interview and they took this and put this on the internet. And now that's going to be stuck in your head all day, isn't it? <laughs> like, you're going to go around singing that. But unintentionally, she became famous because they took that simple statement that she made and they kind of put it to music, auto-tuned it. Like, so she became famous. And, and you think about that, like even last year with TikTok really taking off and everyone posting videos to try to have them go viral or get noticed or get the most likes, like that's one definition of fame and getting noticed and kind of notoriety and popularity. When you think about success, there may be individuals that we think of as successful individuals that come to mind. You may think of this individual right here. And in case you don't know who that is, that's Elon Musk, who founded Tesla and didn't invent the electric car, but really helped it to take off with the style and the design and everything he did with Tesla, with SpaceX and privatizing space exploration and really investing a lot of money into that and what that would be like to have people go to space working with a number of um, different kind of private organizations has become one of the wealthiest individuals in the world. So maybe you think of that as success or this individual, Steve Jobs, um, who founded Apple and helped it to become one of the um, most wealthiest kind of technology or electronic companies in the world. At different times, Apple has risen to success, and even his innovations that in our hands um, with the smartphone, we now have the internet and email and social media and all of these apps and music and everything that you can think of right here kind of in our palm through his innovation and through his technology. And so maybe those are what come to mind as you think of, well, that's what it means to be a successful person. And this morning, I want to talk to you about don't take the bait of success or fame. Don't take the bait of success 
or fame. Let me pause right here because for some of you, you may have been sitting here the past few weeks and looking at that intro video that we show before the message, and you've been waiting for this Sunday and like, what does it mean just keep scrolling? How many of you guys have seen that, right? Okay, so we were going to talk this morning about entertainment and social media and all of those things, but this week I was at a prayer retreat, and as I was praying, I felt like God directed my heart to this message, what I'm going to share with you this morning. And so just don't want to throw you off if you came this morning expecting entertainment. Um, We're going to talk about don't take the bait of success or fame. And when you just look around, even from a young age, we're challenged in that way in our life to be ambitious, right? To get the right grades, get the right job, the right career, all of those things like what we're supposed to strive after this idea of success or fame. Even my kids that are younger, when you ask them now, what is it that they want to be? Dad, I want to be a YouTuber. Okay, so I want to post videos on the internet and get millions of likes and make money by playing video games, right? This kind of notoriety or this ambition for fame or success, it's a draw in our culture and in our time that even through social media, what do we do? We look at that stuff and how many likes did I get? That we're being affirmed by what other people think of us, what they think of our life, our photo. Like there is this draw to success or fame on some level for each and every one of us. And yet, when we look at the life of Jesus, that is not how he lived, you guys. And that's not what his life was about. And as we go to Scripture, he's living in this kind of totally different time frame, this totally different way than we see this draw of our culture of success and fame. If you just stop and think about it, if God let us in on his plans of sending his son here on this earth, how many of us would have written Jesus' story like it came about? Like, hey, I know if God's son comes to this earth, this is what should happen. He should be born in a place that no one's ever really heard of, right? And should be born in a time where there's not a lot of news outlet or there's not a lot of way to get messages around the world. Like, there's not a lot of that going on. Like, we would have had him born in the best city. We would have recorded every single moment of his life, either written down or on video or pictures, right, on social media. We would have studied every second. And yet, when you look at the life of Jesus... So much of it is hidden. It's not what we think of as success or fame. It's in obscurity. That throughout the gospels, like, we're given these small moments of Jesus' life when he's born. And then as he's growing up, we get a tiny glimpse of his childhood, maybe a few days. And then when he's 12 years old, we get another couple of days. And then there's decades before we ever hear anything or see anything about the life of Jesus. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? decades of the son of God's life lived here on this earth when no one really knows his name. No one knows his potential. No one knows his calling or his purpose or any of those things. He's growing up in this small, tiny village in that part of the world as a carpenter, and this is God's son. And we would have written that story totally different, like, no, it needs to be now. You need to be in the best city. You need to be known in political arenas. Like, you need to be the kind of go-to person all throughout your life. And Jesus lives differently. And as we look at the scriptures, we need to examine our lives of how do we fall into this trap? What does this look like for us? And how do we avoid those things? And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go this morning to Luke chapter 4. And we're going to start reading at verse 1. And if you have the NCC app, I want to encourage you to to get that out, to um, open that up. You can take sermon notes because we're going to hit quite a few scriptures this morning as we walk through that. 
And there may be things that God challenges you with, and I'm going to encourage you to write down that you can do that in those notes, or if you have a different way to take notes, I want you to do that. But let's start here in Luke chapter 4. And this is the very beginning of what's known as Jesus' kind of public ministry, where he arrives on the scene where people start to hear about him, and we start to see him preach and teach. And this is just beginning in the life of Jesus. This is what it says in Luke 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So I don't know if you've ever just stopped and reflected of how Jesus started this life, but it's being led not into Jerusalem where everyone was at, not into the most famous synagogues or churches of his day to where people could hear his teachings. First, he's led into once again a hidden place in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And one of the things that we see as we walk through this temptation, I'm going to kind of touch them out of order, but is the enemy, Satan, dangles the bait of what is unimportant in front of Jesus. He tries to get him to focus in on what is unimportant. In Luke chapter 4, verse 5, this is what it says. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, to you, I will give all this authority in all of its glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. This last temptation that we see the enemy give Jesus is he's trying to pull his focus from what is important to what is unimportant. He tries to trick Jesus into believing that his life is just about getting authority That Jesus, you were put here on this earth just for position and just for power. And Jesus, I have the shortcut to success. How many times does the enemy dangle that in our lives? Hey, I've got the shortcut to success. You don't have to go through God's process in your life. You can circumvent that. Jesus, you don't have to go through suffering. You don't have to go through betrayal. You don't have to go through sleeping on dusty Um, floor uh, kind of on the ground without a home. Like you don't have to go through any of that. Jesus, I can give you power. I can give you prestige. I have this ability. This is what's really important in your life. Jesus, this is what you should be focusing in on and I can deliver it to you. And there are so many times, church, in our life where the enemy wants to do the same thing. You know, you don't really have to go through that process that God has you on. Let me show you the shortcut. Let me show you the easy way out. Here's what's important in your life. Are you getting noticed? Are you moving up in the company? Are you in the right circle of friends? And it doesn't matter what you have to give up. See, he tries to get us to focus in on what's unimportant and to make that the key and the central thing in our life. That's what he's doing with Jesus. You don't have to go through all of this pain. There is a shortcut to success if you'll simply worship me. And we think of that so many times, even at a younger age of, hey, I've got to get the right grades, right? So I can get into the right college when I get to that place, so I can get the right job, so I can have the right career, so I can live in the right neighborhood and have the right things. And all of a sudden, that becomes the driving factor in our lives. Now, students, let me tell you, getting good grades is important. Can I get an amen from teachers and parents? But we're doing that not because it defines our life. But we're doing that because that's what God has called us to do in this season. And it's a reflection of him. So that's not what defines me. 
Is that I get into the right school? Do I have the right job? Am I moving up in my company? Like all of those things. No, that's not what drives our life because that's the wrong focus to have. We're focused in on what's important. God, what have you called me to do in this season? This is what Jesus focuses in on. And he says, no, get behind me, Satan. No, I'm not going to do that. I should only worship God. That's how he comes back in that moment. And how many of our lives are driven by rising to the top, by getting noticed by others, by having the right position, by having the right things, we sell out for what is truly unimportant in our life, and we make that the center and the focus. And Jesus shifts that all around, of you're not called to live for the world's definition of success. In Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. That's not what we're told in the world around us. The greatest among you will be the person that serves you that sees the needs around you and gives their life away, that sacrifices for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus calls us to this different way of living. As I was reading about this, I was thinking about a story that I read a number of years ago and, and heard it was about a monk. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with what a monk is, I asked my daughter and she's like, isn't that like Nacho Libre? And I was like, yeah, that's kind of what that's like, okay? So it's, it's a religious guy who lives in a monastery, if you're familiar with that. Or, or she said, picture a male nun. So those are good definitions right there, okay? So, so that individual, he was living, this is hundreds of years ago. No one really knew who he was. No one knew anything about him. He spent most of his days studying scripture, working in the monastery. And he began to write like these sermons and these messages. He wrote them down. Didn't think anyone would read them, some of his journal writings, but they began to be circulated around. And after doing this for a while, just really focusing, studying scripture, spending time praying, working in the monastery, no one knew about him. He receives a letter from the Pope at that time. And he said, I've read some of your writings. I want you to come to Rome and study to be a cardinal, which was like one of the highest positions in the church at that time. Like, I want to elevate you at this. And so the monk takes a few days and he prays about it and he does the unthinkable. He writes the Pope back and he says, thank you so much. I'm truly honored, but I'm going to have to pass on this position. Everyone else at the monastery is just floored. They're like, how could you possibly? This is what everyone is striving to. You'll have more influence. Like, you'll get noticed. Everyone will know about you. Like, this is what you've been working towards. How could you pass up this opportunity? And he gives them this saying that a mentor had passed on to him. And it's this. Don't let your competency, your gifts, and your skills take you where your character cannot sustain you. Don't let your competency, your gifts, and your skills take you to a place where your character cannot sustain you. And he said, I'm just going to be honest. I don't know if I got to that place of being a cardinal right now, if I've prayed enough, if I'm grounded enough in Scripture. I could end up in a place of influence, and I have not a lot to give to other people. And so I'm not going to take a position that my character cannot sustain. He said, my main focus, what is important in my life is not getting noticed. It's not influence. It's not more people reading my writing. The most important thing in my life is my relationship with Jesus, and I won't sacrifice that for anything. See, church, we need to challenge ourselves. Do we have the most important thing as the center of our life? Or have we been trapped by this idea of success or fame or getting noticed or these other things, and our life is being deteriorated away? And we're compromising. I mean, at a younger age, how many times do we 
say things, we do things just to get noticed by a group of friends. I mean, students, how tempting is that when you're in that classroom and you're not here at NYC or you're not in this church setting or your parents aren't around, how easy is it to compromise and to do things that you know are not in keeping with what God's plan is for your life, but it helps you to fit in. It helps you to feel accepted. It helps you to get noticed. And I would love to tell you this ends when you're 18, but it's not. It doesn't, right? Because we find ourselves in the workplace. We find ourselves around people. And how many times do we give a little bit? We compromise, right? We focus on different things that we should not. And we make that what's important in our life. Instead of what God has called us to be. What God has called us to do. Reflecting his character and his nature. See, we have this tendency in our lives to focus in on what's unimportant and we compromise in our lives. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, he's talking about finances, but he says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's not only a great principle in our finances, it is a great principle in our life that God, you are the center. You're what's most important in my life. And so if you've been around NCC for years, we've preached different sermons where we challenge you to do this. I want to challenge you to do this this week, to make a list of what's most important. To take time this week in your personal prayer time or when you have a few moments and just reflect, God, what should be most important in my life? I would hope that somewhere right there at the top that your relationship with God would be the first thing that you write down. But it doesn't just stop there. God, what are the other relationships you've called me to? What are the other things you've invited me, God, to focus in on in this season? It may change from season to season. It may look different in different seasons of your life. But, God, what should be the most important things in my life? And then maybe a secondary list. God, what are unimportant things that I've been focusing in on? Relationships that should not be there. Maybe a workload or projects at work that God's telling you to say no to, but you keep chasing success and you're giving up some things, you're compromising some things just to try to get ahead, are the most important things at the center of your life. What God has called you to do, are you making that the center part and the center focus of your life? I want to challenge you, just take some time this week to sit down and write down that list and say, God, help me to focus in on the things that you're calling me to, God, that you're challenging me to. The second thing, after we take that bait of focusing in on what is unimportant, we can focus on only what is seen and temporary. This can become very easy in our lives to focus in on only what is seen and what is temporary. In Luke chapter 4, verse 3, the devil says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights while he's out in this wilderness. He had to be extremely hungry at this point. I think of conversations John Jones, if you guys know him, and I have had about what would have happened if Jesus would have given in to this temptation of eating bread after 40 days of fasting, like his body would not have been able to handle that, and this could have been very detrimental. But it's that focus of, hey, what do I want right now, the temporary That immediate feeling of hunger, right? I mean, I go like eight hours and a pizza is just so great to me. I cannot imagine 40 days in that temptation of, hey, you need this. Like right now, you've got to have this. You haven't eaten anything. Like just give in to this temptation of what this meant to him to focus in on what was temporary and seen 
And Jesus turns the focus back around on what is unseen and what is eternal. And he says this, no, what sustains me, what truly feeds my soul in the spirit part of my life is God's word. It's not what's fading. It's not what's passing. It's not what I can just have in this moment, but it is what is eternal. It is the word of God. That's what I need more of in my life. That was the point of this fasting of Jesus before he ever got into what was known as his public ministry to say, God, I want to make sure that every part of my life is focused in on you, God, that I am focused in on what is eternal and what is unseen, God. And how many times do we struggle that with that? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, and so we as the church, we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How much of your time is focused in on what is just temporary? on what is passing, on what is just here in this moment, but what is gone in the next. We live our lives so many times by making sure, do we have the right shoes and the right clothes, right? Do we have the right car? Do we have the right house? Like those things that are just passing. Now, let me tell you, I I love good styles. My wife has to help me because I'm not that great at picking out my clothes. And, And so I have good friends that help me with that. Nothing wrong with any of those things. The problem is when we define ourselves by those, when we start defining ourselves by the kind of car that we drive or the job that we have or the position or the title that we have, and that becomes the defining factor in our life, you guys, those things are temporary. And I need you to hear this. You were not created as a temporary being. You are an eternal spirit, an eternal soul that God has placed inside of you. Do not define yourself on what is just going to pass away on what is going to be here in one, here one moment and gone the next. And yet that's how so many of us define our lives. That's where we get our identity from, on what is just kind of moving along, what will change next year, and we'll have to throw it away and take it to the garage sale or thrift store or something. And that's how we're defining our lives instead of on what is eternal. God, what are you doing on the inside of me? God, what's happening, Lord, in the depths of who I am as a person? God, who are you making me to be? And we define ourselves on position or possessions or status or what others think about us instead of on what is eternal, what is truly there. I can remember um, Sarah and I, we had been married a, a little bit over a year, maybe like 18 months, almost two years. We had Josiah, who was um, just a newborn at that point, and I was looking for a different job. And so we were still in Bible college. We were making almost nothing, like just barely getting by. And so I applied at this pharmacy store. And immediately they had seen kind of um, the different jobs I had. And so they offered me a manager's position. And they said, hey, Aaron, we'll start you off. I think it was like thirty-five or 40000 a year which may not sound like a lot to you, but to me, I mean, that could have been millions. Like I had nothing. And to hear that amount, like I was so excited and I'm going to start off as a manager. They see leadership potential in me. But one of the first things they said is, hey, you'll be the weekend manager. So you'll probably be like three out of the four Sundays of the month and Saturdays, you'll be working those times. And I had to stop and think because Sarah and I, we weren't pastors at that point, but we led a kindergarten Sunday school class, if you guys remember Sunday school. Like, that was one of my favorite things. I sang on the church choir. I don't know why anyone ever let me up on stage to sing. 
but somehow I tricked people that I could do that. And so they let me up on the choir to sing like we were just so involved. And I remember it was heartbreaking, but I picked up the phone and I said, thank you so much. I'm honored, but I'm going to have to pass. Because I thought, you know what? It's not worth what it's going to cost me. Like my church family, these little kids that I get to open up God's word and tell them Bible stories and help their faith grow, like it's not worth what it'll cost me. And you guys, can I tell you, it's so tempting in those moments to focus in on the temporary. But at what cost? See, you can climb the corporate ladder, you can become more successful at your job, but is it gonna cost you your relationship with God? Well, eventually when I get to that position, I'll be more committed to church, right? Like I'll have more time to give more. I'll I'll do all of those things, but it's costing you something. Yeah, I'll work those extra hours, but what about being present with your kids and your family? What about investing in your marriage? See, you can give up a lot for the temporary, but what is it going to cost you? At what price are you willing to do that? And God continually reminds us, make sure that you're not just focusing in on what will eventually fade away. What are you investing in that's eternal? What are you investing in that's going to last, that's going to even outlive you, your legacy that you have with your kids and with those relationships that's going to far surpass you? See, you can give up a lot, but it's going to cost you something. And the enemy wants to hang that bait out there for us. Just focus in on what's seen, what's right in front of you, what you can gain, your bank account, those things, instead of focusing in on what's eternal. And so we need to redefine success and fame. And I want to give you this definition that Pete Scazzaro shares in his new book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. He says this, success, according to scripture, is becoming the person God calls you to become and doing what God calls you to do in his way, and this is important, according to his timetable. Let me read that again so that sinks in. Success, according to scripture, is becoming the person God calls you to become and doing what God calls you to do in his way and according to his timetable. See, there are so many of us that we struggle. We don't have that kind of definition of success. See, our success is what we produce, like what we can kind of outwardly accomplish, like what we can gain, what other people think about us. That's how it's all defined. Instead of stopping and saying, God, but who am I becoming? What kind of character are you developing inside of me? God, what is that painful and even sometimes the suffering in the process that you're taking me on because you're doing something inside of me? that other people may not be able to see. And that's what's so powerful about all of those years that Jesus lived, right? So many of us, we say we want the life that Jesus had. That means we have to adopt his lifestyle. And that means sometimes we're not seen. And that means sometimes the outward definition of success that the world puts on us, we're not there yet, but God's developing something inside of us. We're becoming the children of God that God wants us to be, even when no one else around us is noticing that. It's difficult, but that's the process of success that God has. That's why in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. What a beautiful definition of success. Not trying to climb some corporate ladder, 
not trying to get some next position, God. My whole life is wrapped around what you're doing inside of me, God, and what you have called me to do, Lord, where you're leading me at and in your timetable. So I'm not rushing this in a culture that says you got to get it now and this opportunity is going to pass you by and you probably won't have another chance. Like This is your moment to shine. You need to take advantage of that. No, God, it's according to your timetable. So when we read in the Gospels, Jesus' brothers, they say, Jesus, there's this big celebration. There's this big festival. All of the nation is in Jerusalem. You're never going to have a moment like this again where everyone's gathered at once. You need to go up and do some miracles and prove that you're the Messiah. You need to show everyone that you're the Son of God. And Jesus says, no. See, it's always your time. You're rushing. You always think success has to be in this moment. But let me tell you, it's not my time yet. God hasn't told me to go up to Jerusalem yet, so I'm going to wait until he says go. How many of us, we need that in our life to say, God, I'm not going to rush it. When you open that door, Lord, I'm going to walk through it, but I don't have to push it open myself. God, I don't have to fight for it. I don't have to maybe backstab or betray other people in the organization to get ahead, right? I don't have to downplay other people's gifts, Lord. I'm going to wait until it's your timing in your moment, and you open the door, God, and then I'm going to walk through it, Lord. I don't need to rush it. See, that definition that Jesus gives us, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God already knows what he's called you to do. God knows your purpose. Church, you don't have to put the spotlight on yourself. You don't have to shine in your own ability. God already knows. He's laid it out beforehand, his plan and his purpose and his destiny for your life. And so we don't have to live for ourselves. We're asking God every single day, Lord, what are you doing inside of me today? God, what what does my life need to look like today? Where are you leading me? God, what are those conversations I need to have? Holy Spirit, you direct my life. I want to take us back to reflecting on the life of Jesus. And I want to read you a part of this kind of narrative poem or story poem that this person wrote called The Unknown Person. It's talking about the life of Jesus. This is what it says. He was born in an obscure village, the child of poor parents. He grew up in another village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held a public office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college, and he never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends betrayed him. He was publicly killed by the government of his time, and yet no one in the history of mankind has impacted the world like him. See, not your current definition of success or fame. Not a life that we would imagine for the Son of God. A life in so many ways that was hidden, that was unseen, and yet God was doing something inside of Jesus that changed the world because he was willing to lay down his life and to submit to God's definition of success. Lord, who am I becoming? 
God, what is it that you're calling me to do? What does my life need to look like? And church, can I tell you that's what we need to adopt as success? That's what we need to focus in on our life. Not our 15 minutes of fame or not a viral video or something that gets liked a lot and shared a lot. It's, God, what do you think of me? How is my life lining up with your desires and your plan and your purpose for my life? It is so easy, you guys, to sell out, to try to take the shortcut to fame or success, and yet God has called us to a different life. And I want to challenge you this morning to maybe take a moment and just reflect on that. Lord, am I becoming the person that you've called me to become? God, am I doing what you've called me to do in your way and according to your timetable? If you would take a moment and just bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to think about that. Maybe you're here in this room or maybe you're watching online. You're scrolling through Facebook and you've just paused for a few minutes on this video. And this morning you're being reminded or challenged to reflect on God. What is important in my life? See, we can live for a lot of things that just come and go. But that's not what your life was really meant to be about. God has a plan and God has a purpose for you. And whenever we struggle on our own and try to do it in our own power, in our own strength apart from God, we mess it up, you guys. We end up sinning, rebelling against God. We end up failing and making mistakes. And God invites us into his plan and his purpose to surrender everything that we are for all that he is. And if you're listening to this this morning and you would say, Aaron, that's me. Man, I'm trying to do this on my own apart from God, but I don't want to live like that. I want to live with God's purpose and God's will in my life. I want to pray with you this morning. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room and you're watching online, you could even be by yourself, but I want you to say this out loud. We don't want anyone praying alone. Jesus, I come to you and I need you in my life. I need your definition of success. And so I invite you in. Be the savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins and give me a brand new start. I pray this in your name. Amen. Church, can we just put our hands together and celebrate for anyone who prayed that prayer? And I believe this. If you prayed that and you, you meant that in your heart of God, I truly want you to be a part of my life. That The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing with you and that God's spirit is in you, working in you to continue to grow you and develop you into the person that God wants you to become. And so church, I want to challenge you once again that this week, that you would just take some time to pause and say, Lord, are the important things in my life, the things that need to be important, God, am I really focused in on them or am I focused on other things that, that Lord, I need to shift that focus and bring it back to you and what you're doing in my life. Lord, help me to have your definition of success and fame. Lord, that's what I want to be present in me. I wanna challenge you to do that. And so I'm gonna lead us in one more prayer. And this time I wanna encourage you not just to listen to me pray or listen to my words, but that you would take a moment, just have an honest conversation with God. If you don't pray a lot, there's no special things that you have to say or no special words. Just be honest with God. If, God, I want to be someone 
who defines success the way that you define it, Lord. And so lead me and guide me this week. Let's pray together, church. Lord, I come before you. Jesus, I thank you for your life as an example. God, I know it's easy for me to get sidetracked or to focus in on other things, and yet your life reminds us to make sure that we're reflecting you, God, that we're showing the world who you are, Lord. We're being that example of you, God, and we're opening up our life to what you're helping us to become, God, and what it is that you want us to do. And so, Lord, I pray this week that you would shift some of those mindsets. God, help us to focus in on what is truly important, God, on what you've said needs to be the center of our life, Lord. Let us be an example to the world around us of not chasing success, God, not chasing fame, but, Lord, our identity and our life is defined by you and by your word. Lord, those are the kinds of people that we want to be. So I pray that for our students in the classroom. God, I pray that for each of us, Lord, in in our workplace or, Lord, when we're around family or friends. God, help us to allow you to be the center of our life. God, not to chase things that are temporary, Lord, but God, to live for the eternal that you've called us to. And God, as we live that way, that like Jesus, our lives would change the destiny and the legacy of other people. Lord, we would have an eternal impact on others. God, I pray this in your name. Amen.